Okay, first and foremost, we are not mental health professionals. We are here to share our experience, but we can't give you medical advice. If you're experiencing a crisis, please reach out to a local or national resource. You can reach the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or find additional mental health resources on the ABA website. We're back. Hello. Hey. Welcome to Mensana, a motion for mental health. This is a podcast dedicated to reducing mental health stigma in the legal industry through weekly conversations. I want to like, oh, I'm Caitlin. We didn't introduce ourselves. Oh, I'm Laura. <laughs> you guys know that already. <laughs> you know our voices. I want to like play back like you saying the description of it to see because I feel like the intonation matches exactly as well. Probably. I kind of want to see like if it's exactly the same, like my hunch that it is. <laughs> They probably think it's like pre-recorded. Yeah, it, it kind of sounds pre-recorded. It's just us being robots. It's fresh. It's yeah. fresh material. How are you guys? I <sighs> missed you. We usually record this like a week early, but we're recording on the Sunday before Monday. Not yeah. not out of necessarily, honestly, last minute ness. We kind of planned it this way. Right. But it feels it feels like I've been away for a while. Yeah, this is not my favorite day of the week to record. Because no. I like to use my Sundays to nap. To and recover from hangovers. Yep. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, so all of the talk we've done on this podcast about how we try to drink less lately because <laughs> hangover anxiety is a real thing. Mm. I threw out the window this weekend. Mm, same, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We had friends come to visit from out of town. And, oh, okay, this is like a public service announcement that I need <laughs> everyone to know. So sh my partner, he refinanced his loans through the company Earnest. And when he filled, he, he like filled out the whole application and then didn't sign it and just let it sit for a couple days. And he got an email from Ernest that said, hey, if you sign this refinance application, we will reimburse you up to $300 for brunch. <laughs> Which is, by the way, the most millennial offer yep. I have ever heard ever. Like, we're not actually going to give you a good rate on your loan. We're just going to give you brunch. Hope yeah. you all enjoy your avocado toast over buying a house. Yep. Ha -ha. yep, exactly. Uh, that, like, drives me crazy, but also it's cool. So I mean, so I mean, we were like. free brunch. Yeah. So we were like, <laughs> okay, well, now we need to do a big brunch one weekend. <laughs> and we invited our friends from out of town to come. Oh, so we all <laughs> wore matching tracksuits, which is a whole other story that I'll just leave you guys wondering about feel free to check <laughs> out my personal Instagram if you want to see the pictures uh, it was pretty funny it's worth it yeah um but yeah so today I'm struggling quite <laughs> a bit quite a bit <laughs> how was uh what's your personal journey update uh um besides the fact that you're struggling today yeah um honestly I've been doing pretty good lately good like I, so last, last week I mentioned that, um, I'd been like kind of down a little and was talking to my psychiatrist about potentially needing to change my, um, SSRI dose, like during my PMS or maybe like potentially on an ongoing basis. And, uh, we had ended our last meeting saying that, um, cause I was about to get my period. I'm still about to get it. It's mm -hmm. been like that PMS period, but I've been doing really well. And so we left our last meeting saying, if I did start feeling down again to set up a follow-up with her and we'd readdress the Lexapro dose, um, but I've been fine. And so she said like, if you feel fine, then we'll just set up a follow-up later, like when you need it. But otherwise, like my prescription is currently good. I have like two more refills, so I don't need to meet back with her to get a new prescription. And I've generally been doing good. So good. I've been feeling like pretty sustained and haven't had to do a follow up with her. Yay. And 
yeah I'm feeling kind of good about it yay that's really good news yeah trying not to get like too ahead of myself yeah but, but whatever take take yeah. it as it comes and you know yeah I will quickly update you guys on my physical health too with my eye situation um because I know I told you all that was a really big factor for me last year last year in my mental health journey um so my right eye is still pretty blurry. I did do a second round of LASIK, which did help a bit. But my cornea, so like the, the um, laser correction of my vision is, is accurate, but my cornea is still irritated. So it's still like foggy and fuzzy. Um, I was going to like a ton of follow-up appointments. One really busy day at work, I left work early to go to another follow-up and see my doctor. And I sat in the waiting room for an hour and 15 minutes before I saw anyone. Mm. And I went back and talked to one of the, um, what are they called? Like an op- ophthalmologist assistant. Mm-hmm. No, it's just like one of the oh. assistants. Like, I don't know if it's a nurse or what. But anyway, I went back there and I was like, hey. And, and I had to, I had a soccer game at 6.15. And at this point, it was like coming up on 5.30. My appointment was literally at 4.00. So I was like, hey, um, do you guys have any idea like when I'm going to be able to see the doctor? Because I really need to be leaving like right now. And they were like, oh, he just went into that room. And then there's one more person before you. And then you'll be up. And I was like, "Okay, I had to go. Like, I can't do this. I can't wait anymore. And that was like super anxiety inducing for me because it was a really busy day at work. I had to leave work early, therefore didn't get as much done as I wanted to. And I'm just sitting in the waiting room. I didn't bring my laptop because like usually those post-op follow-ups are really quick. I'm like yeah. in and out. So I didn't well, bring my laptop. Well, you have an laptop. appointment time. Yeah. That's like the whole point of having an appointment time. Yeah. So I was just sitting Ugh. in the waiting room. I couldn't do anything. All I had was my phone. I couldn't like do any work. I didn't have a book to read. I'm just sitting there like anxiously waiting. And we've talked about lateness before and yeah. how it stresses us out. And so... That was like really bad, but um, so I decided after that to just stop doing post-op follow-ups there because they've been the literal same exact appointment mm. every time I go. He just the doctor just tells me like, oh, we're just gonna have to be patient. I've been <laughs> using gel drops now instead of like the saline tear drops, and it sometimes helps, but overall, I don't think he's been doing anything for me. So I just decided to stop going to those appointments because I think they were also causing me anxiety because I was going every three or four weeks yeah. and that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, so in general I've been, I've been pretty good. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Um, I've been feeling pretty even and good too. I haven't good. really had any, I, uh, I had like one spirally day, which I think I talked about this last time too. I feel like I, I've still been doing a pretty good job of being like, okay, clearly we're having a moment. So we're not going to think about all of the things <laughs> yeah. and try to decide things when my brain feels sad or spirally or whatever so I feel like I've been doing pretty well with that um I feel like I'll update you guys uh physically to oh wait first let's 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 pause in therapy land for a second because I'm quite annoyed with that whole situation not I shouldn't say quite annoyed I'm a little I'm a little frustrated as well I just I was just talking to a friend about it I feel a little bit frustrated with my therapist and I feel like it's just kind of like a lack of professionalness I tried to leave a voicemail like earlier today about uh, needing to reschedule my appointment this week and of course her like inbox is full and I couldn't leave a voicemail so like I just and you know everybody's busy that happens to all of us at some point but I feel like with like the two reschedules and the voice mocks being full and the starting late and it just is all kind of added and like also kind of like the pedestrian-esque kind of way that our sessions have been going so far and I've only been to two but I don't know that like in this maybe our sales just don't drive but 
she's already saying for next time like oh we can do like an anxiety and depression quiz like da, da, da. like I can walk you through it and I just I had two thoughts I was like well one I feel like if it's like a quiz type thing like wouldn't be a better use of our time for me to take that on my own and then like maybe we can discuss when like I come in next I don't need you to read questions to me like during yeah. my precious one hour or frankly abbreviated hour if it starts late and I'm also it's not super helpful to me to necessarily have an anxiety or depression diagnosis it's not something I really like necessarily care about and I think that different people are different as far as like wanting or needing or etc like any sort of diagnosis yeah um I I don't feel like it's something that is important to me at this yeah. point so I was just sort of like I don't know. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go two more times okay, and see how I feel. But that's update with that. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm highly skeptical that this is going to work out, which is kind of disappointing, yeah, especially because like she's a very nice person and like she seems very empathetic, but well, and especially because you waited <sighs> so long to yes, get in with someone. I really did. So I really would not like to go back on the journey of trying to find another yeah. person, but I might have to, I mean, I'm not going to like pay money to somebody who's not helping so um or doesn't really have that potential and then physically stuff I wanted to update y'all about like my potential endometriosis stuff too now that I feel like in a better place to talk about that so I only feel like I think about this or talk about this when I am feeling like up because I like can't really handle it otherwise but I've sat with this probably for I guess like a month and a half now so that's been enough time to kind of do some more processing or whatever but Basically, I came in and I was expecting like the horrors of potentially being put on birth control, which is in my mind, like the worst possible outcome of my initial appointment with the OBGYN. And of course, like, you know, it exceeded that because they did an ultrasound and they found a um, apple sized endometrioma inside of me, which I didn't know was growing. And it's kind of wacky to think about. And it's just been kind of getting worse and it grows a little bit every month and they can't officially diagnose endometriosis without doing surgery. So, of course, our consultation, instead of them saying, like, oh, you should go on birth control, turned into, like, we need to schedule surgery soon. And I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> and I was just, like, floored by that. Recommend- yeah. I couldn't process any of that. I have never – this is, again, a person who, like, hesitates about taking Tylenol. <laughs> so, you know, t- talking about, like, scheduling surgery and going on birth control – and the fact that this is a, a not a curable thing, it just needs to be managed. And it's kind of literally with you until you hit menopause. And many people I know have had multiple surgeries and complications and et cetera. It was just a lot to kind of take in. Yeah. And it kind of still is. I'm still, I still go through phases where I'm like hard, no balking. I'm not doing surgery. And unfortunately my little, uh, my little trauma book, um, I was reading, I read it all the time, but I was reading it. And, um, of course I, uh, I happened upon the passage that (laughs) noted this horrifying story about laparoscopic surgery, which is the surgery that I would be getting. And of course it was like a really rare freak incident, but it was kind of, I was reading it at 3am because I couldn't (laughs) sleep. It was not a great thing to read at 3am. And obviously it's a trauma book. It includes lots of traumatic events right <laughs> but like so I'm not no no trigger warning needed like I know what I'm reading um but I wasn't able to like put up a boundary with that it just hit too close to home and like the lady was like awake during her anesthesia and she felt everything oh. and this account like it just like detailed like 
the scalpel cutting into her fallopian tubes and I was like okay and I couldn't stop I couldn't stop reading because I, I was like I, I need to finish this out so she was oh just God. like trapped in her own body and they gave her a muscle relaxer so she couldn't move mm. so like literally out of a horror movie right y'all are welcome for that one because I need to share my misery yeah. <laughs> with other people oh God. but after I read that I was like I'm gonna be a hard pass on surgery I don't really care and again that's a very one in a million kind of circumstance but it just it sometimes does feel like like too much for me and I'm like I don't know I can deal with the pain like three days a month and it's not that big of a deal so I'm sometimes in that camp but I did reach out to actually start talking about scheduling surgery at least so that was a really big step for me and um I did it when I was having like a good mental health day and I was like you know what we'll schedule it and if the date comes and I don't want to do it I don't have to you know like I can it's not a good idea to necessarily push it off but like I can push it off. It just gets, it gets a little bit bigger every month and the risk of like something like ovarian torsion or rupturing become a little bit increased, but Mm -hmm. it's not something where I like need to go under the knife like tomorrow. So is an endometrioma like a cyst? Yes, but it's different. So like lots of women get ovarian cysts, right? Right. So like they're usually fluid filled cysts um, and they go away. Typically your body just reabsorbs them. So an endometrioma, um, happens in, I think, 10% of endometriosis cases. I think oh. a lot of times in endometriosis, there's like widespread um, lesions like throughout the uterus that could be like anywhere. This is more like I have an apple-sized thing and it has a cell wall and it's filled grossly with like blood, like oh, old blood. Gosh. So it's just like a giant like impacted cyst and it can't be reabsorbed or do anything. That's oh. why they have to like do surgery to take it out. But... Yeah, if anybody has any like endometriosis experience, et cetera, I have such a great wealth of resources that I've been talking to, but um, it's something you see, I feel like more and more like women talking about endometriosis because it's kind of like a hidden thing Mm -hmm. um, because you, you know, people are just like, oh, it's just cramps or you, you know, there's lots of like misconceptions about it. So yeah, if y'all have any insight, shoot shoot it my way because that's been an interesting mental health burden to bear. Yeah. So not super fun, but I do feel like better lately recently and I do feel better more specifically with that. And I feel more like practical about it instead of like just dwelling on the fact that like some horrifying thing could happen during surgery. So that's where I am with that. Well, I'm glad our, I'm glad our, our journeys, we were trying to abbreviate our, uh, our journeys for y'all guys, but we had big things to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Here we are. I, I am sorry that you're going through that, but I'm Thanks. glad that you're feeling better about it and like more able to deal with it. Yeah. Like the fact that I can like talk about it is yeah. a big step too, because I was just like fully distancing myself and I felt like it was happening to somebody else. So that yeah. was the stage that I was in for a solid month. Yeah. And now I'm like, no, but it's me. We're going to have a little bit of scars and a little bit of rest time. It might be okay. We'll see. We can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Well, keep us posted yeah. oh uh, don't worry no worries on keeping you posted on therapy and my poor body yeah. that's sabotaging oh, me now that I'm almost 30 oh, let's <laughs> not talk about that my birthday is coming up in a couple months and I'm gonna be 28 all right let's do a quick book club and then we have something really cool for you guys oh yeah we, do, we have a spicy episode we for do y'all. we do the spice kind is of gonna like, be real it's kind of like a clickbait episode it kind of is a clickbait <laughs> episode <laughs> But it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. Um, All right. So really quickly, I read in the book, for those of you that are following along, I read up to page 30. Um, So I read through the shyness section, the social anxiety disorder section. 
And then I read part of chapter two, which is about challenges that quiet law students and lawyers face. Um, I thought chapter two started out in a really cool way because they go into a pretty deep explanation of the Socratic method and what it means and how it came about and like the way that Socrates himself actually used it, Mm. which was kind of interesting to me. That's cool. Surprise, surprise. The way that Socrates used the the Socratic method was much different or a little (laughs) bit different than how it's used now in law schools. Yeah. But I thought it was really cool. So, um... So there's a very clear step-by-step pathway that Socrates used to use when he would question people. And the way that Socrates did it was he would literally go around town and he was exploring things that he knew in himself he didn't understand or he didn't know. And so that's one distinction from the current law school setting where a professor that's asking you a question to us as law students seems like the professor knows everything Socrates was coming to people as like I don't know this what are your thoughts on it what's Mm -hmm. your answer and the way that Socrates did it was every time someone gave him an answer he raised another question so it was like okay this is your thought why do you think that way what about this situation and I I I don't want to read like the whole um, step by step but it's basically state a declaration that seems obvious and infallible Regard it as if it were untrue. So brainstorm scenarios in which it may not be accurate or where it wouldn't apply. Notice how those examples show that defined terms within the original declaration might be insufficient, like too broad or too vague. And then revise the original declaration. And then you push further and further until you... um, you better define the original question by continuing to test alternate viewpoints. And so that's how sometimes you can arrive at a new conclusion from where you started because you start testing all these alternatives. And that's what I mean when I say that Socrates would have an answer and that would just raise more questions because they would start testing alternate viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was really cool. And in, in some cases that is what law school is like too. Yeah. But in other cases, instead of it being you give an answer and then we raise all of these other questions. It's actually my question has one answer and you need to know exactly what it is. Right. So there are cer- there are several instances in law school. I mean, it happened to me when I would actually <laughs> respond to cold calls where you may have spent the whole night reading the case and highlighting and writing out all of the um, points of law and pub- public policy arguments and things that you need to understand. But when you get to class, and the professor asks you a very specific question, suddenly you're trying to like rush through all of your notes and find that particular answer if you don't remember it off the top of your head. And then maybe you say something and it's not quite right. And instead of the professor saying, well, what about this? They say no and go to the next person. Right. And for me, that was that that was terrifying. I did not want to be in a situation where I gave an answer and the professor just said no and moved on to someone else. Or just in general, like I felt like I wasn't wholly accurate. Yeah. Even if I only got part of the answer and was missing part of it, that was a fear of mine. Yeah, that it was failure anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I thought it was really interesting just kind of reading through the differences in the way that the Socratic method was used in literally like... Mm, no, I'm getting the time period wrong. Back then, <laughs> when <laughs> Socrates was alive and doing this. Socratic times. Yeah, versus how we use it sometimes. And and this does not apply to all professors. I know that some professors are really great about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I only honestly had a few professors who actively employed the Socratic method yeah. for, like, for the duration yep. of our classes. Mm-hmm. I do think that's right, too. I think that... Um, 
I don't know. I feel like the Socratic method, at least in our law school classes or the ones that I was in, was more like, do you know, do you remember, do you know this like factual thing about what happened in the case? And sometimes we would like talk about thoughts on it, but I feel like it was more like, how much did you remember? Did you read? Yeah. Um, It's like more like that kind of thing. It's, I felt like it was more of like an accountability ability to think on your feet and not panic thing versus uh, like, you know, a pensive exploration and of course, obviously, the setting is different. I right. mean, Socrates is like wandering around, approaching people, like not in front of a bunch of other people. Right. You know what I mean? It's not there on are the no stage. grades associated. There's no with gra- yeah, there's so obviously there's like tons of differences, but I think I feel like that that difference is crucial though. As far as I mean, it's not like professors, at least in our classes, were like often anyway. Like, oh, what do you think about that? And challenging yeah. those kind of things. Maybe sometimes, but I feel like a lot of it was more like. What are the facts of this case? Yeah. How do we get to this conclusion, et cetera? And it was things that we already read about or should have kind of known or something. It wasn't so much like, here's this brand new thought. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. We had cases to cover and things like that. So. Yeah. But so I think what you just said a few seconds ago about how it was an exercise in thinking on your feet mm-hmm. is exactly why, instead of like a pensive exercise, mm-hmm. is exactly why it doesn't work for introverts in some right. situations no, because they don't have that time to think and come up with a response they uh, and the way that Heidi puts it is they're being forced to act like extroverts they're being forced to think out loud and answer immediately and that's literally not the way their brain works right so I just thought that was kind of interesting like that right yeah exactly no it makes sense for sure yeah yeah so so that was really interesting I think uh for next week I'm gonna start trying to read like 10 pages at a time just to give everybody 10 10 to 15 um, I think I think I'm actually gonna try to do 20 by next week because I'm almost done with part one, and so I just want to finish up part one, and then we can start talking about the actual steps, which is you know three quarters of the book. Yeah. Um, the well, actual Heidi's steps. coming on soon. Yeah, exactly. We don't have much time. She'll yeah. be here next week. The Two week weeks. after. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to sort we of have speed like it up guest a star after guest star coming on I here know. for y'all. Coming we have up. lots coming up. Um, All right. So, yeah. So for next week, if you're reading along, try to finish part one and we will then be able to move into the actual steps that we can take to be better advocates as shy, socially anxious people and introverts. It's exciting. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be kind of a long episode because what we have for you coming up is a little bit long, but it's very awesome. So for those of us that went to William & Mary... You and and you know for those of you that didn't, you may have also heard of this because it got you a little probably bit have. yeah, it got a little bit sensationalized, which is why we're <laughs> calling this the clickbait episode. <laughs> um, so you may have you may remember a couple years ago, I don't remember what year it was. There was an article published in Above the Law about how William and Mary's health center was not handling mental health in law students appropriately. I think the article essentially said, you know, students were coming into the office, to the to the health center and saying, I feel depressed or I feel anxious. And the doctors or nurses in the health center were saying, oh, well, you're a law student. You're all depressed and anxious and just sort of passing on, like moving on. And it became a really big deal. It was a huge article in Above the Law. People were talking about it all over Facebook, um, both, you know, William & Mary Law students and non-William & Mary Law students, we had already graduated at the time. Yeah. And so it was kind of, for me, 
I had a lot of mixed reactions to the article. One, I don't love about the law in general. <laughs> I think they sensa- sensationalize a lot of things like that. Well, in I mean, it's like the format of it as well. People can't just kind of like submit things to above the law from law schools. It's not yeah. it's I don't think that they're holding themselves out to necessarily be published as like the facts of the situation and yeah. investigative journalism. It's just sort of like we got this user submission about this thing happening at a law school or at a law firm. And yeah. here's what we received. Which is which is fine, but I feel like things get blown up a bit. My reaction was like, "What the hell? I've been out of here for like a year or yeah, two. Like, what, what is, is happening? On? Yeah, so, so bizarre. Yeah, so I think that our both of our general reaction was kind of like confusion, mm-hmm. surprise, and kind of like, what the heck is going on? So we had a wonderful opportunity to talk with someone that was very involved in that process. Oh, I, I do want to back up really quickly. All things considered, like. If that's the way that law students' mental health was being handled, that's inappropriate. For sure. And it needed to be fixed. Now, we only heard one side of the story. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the situation was in that exam room when a law student was in there. Um, it, it sounds like it was handled inappropriately. And I certainly trust and believe the people that came out and said they were not feeling supported. Yeah. So, so totally support that and we're excited to talk to you guys about this but I do want to say we're not here to like drag William and Mary we're very proud of our alma mater we're glad that we went there all everything we've heard since then is that they're doing things really really well in the mental health space yeah. so I mean if anything it it highlighted an issue that yeah. was happening yeah. or uh, I mean people feeling not supported yeah for for whatever reason for sure. um regardless of you know if the actual acts of like in the clinic happened or not Clearly, there is a need for yep. somebody to start recognizing and doing something, you know, more deliberate and intentional about mental health there. So if anything, it was a really good thing for the law school to kind of yep. like, um, you know, slingshot them into um, being intentional and outward about mental health and yeah. efforts and outreach with that. Yeah. So we had a wonderful opportunity to talk with Ryan Walkenhurst, who was a 1L when we were 3Ls. So she graduated in 2019. Mm-hmm. And she is an attorney now in California. She was kind of responsible for spearheading this whole thing at William & Mary and helping them, helping the law school and the school in general recognize what the issues were and start addressing them so we've got an interview for you all we had ryan call in so um we're just gonna play it for you do you have anything to add no i think you covered it all right let's play this interview let's do it all right we are now recording ryan so okay. so be careful what you say <laughs> yeah, just kidding your body <laughs> on all right oh, yeah. we are here with ryan and ryan you're gonna have to say your last name for me <laughs> Uh, Ryan Walkenhorst. Okay, so this is Ryan Walkenhorst. Ryan was two years behind us at William & Mary Law School. We are very excited to have her on here today because she has been instrumental in where William & Mary is now in the way that they treat and handle mental health and the resources that they provide for students. So if you guys listened to our episode with Jack and David, you heard them talk about how William & Mary seems to be doing a pretty good job at handling mental health right now. But you also probably heard Laura and I talk about how when we were there, a lot of the resources that Jack and David mentioned weren't there. So Ryan has been really instrumental in getting William and Mary to where they are now. And so we're really, really excited to have her here. She is joining us by phone from California. So Ryan, say hello and thank you so much for being here. 
Hi, everybody. It's so exciting to be on this podcast that I listen to all the time. <laughs> Stop. You're flattering us. <laughs> <laughs> a true self-care stan right. as Matt I think mentioned yeah. when he was on here it's like my favorite <laughs> phrase he said and he said a lot of great things so. yeah yeah so Ryan our first question for you is exactly what you are probably expecting um, as you know Laura and I always update our listeners on our mental health journeys at the beginning of every episode and so if you're willing we'd love to have you tell our listeners a little bit about your mental health journey and where you're at along that path right now yeah so my mental health journey um, started a bit abruptly when I was in college um, stuff happens that you know lots of people experience in college, but I was diagnosed with PTSD my freshman year and didn't really know what to do with that, hadn't really even considered concepts of mental health. It was just something that I worked through on my own and then got to a point that by the time I was in law school, there was a couple of triggers, but for the most part, I was fine. I felt like myself back to normal. And then... uh, Law school happened. (laughs) As it does. (laughs) um, I, who never suffered from anxiety, not even related to the PTSD, um, was surrounded by people who were suffering from anxiety all of the time. And I started to feel anxious myself, which was weird because I'd never had anxiety before. And then um, through some stuff that we will talk about later, I got really involved with mental health in bringing it to William and Mary's attention. And so then I was sort of thinking about my own mental health and mental health in general all of the time by nature of what I was doing and the work I was doing. So I got real up to speed real quick Yeah. on all kinds of issues. Um, And I am now in big law in California, which is also um, known for being kind of a beast of its own. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um generally I'm okay I have like the normal stress of work and then um my fiance is actually um an immigrant and there's been a lot of stress with trying to get him into the U.S. and so in relation to that I have actually been looking for a new therapist I had one in Virginia I'm looking for one here um Laura you will completely understand I was given a list by my insurance and every single one of them said that they're not taking new patients oh dude every single one i feel you that totally sucks i'm so sorry that's a thing just not in virginia (laughs) also uh, i didn't even have any particular requirements i was just like give me anybody a counselor (laughs) there's not oh that sounds incredibly frustrating again in what city are you in in california I'm in Orange County, which is massive. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, I'm like, okay, in Orange County, they have no available therapists, really. Like, nobody's taking new patients. That's crazy. Yeah, there's six million people in this county, um, and my insurance is like, well, if you drive to San Bernardino County, which is not even the next county over, it is two counties over. Oh, my God. 
there's like some availability and I'm like I great I'm not dealing with that traffic and two I have a full-time job when am I supposed to do that yeah Yeah, that's a ridiculous ask I'm sorry that sucks well okay so we all know we're all just gonna like maybe quit our day jobs as attorneys and become (laughs) therapists right like that's my next plan honestly (laughs) like clearly there's a need in the market here (laughs) y'all yeah (sighs) well godspeed on that journey that is a Thank long you. and frustrating one, I'm sure. But yeah, um, generally my mental health journey has actually been a lot of helping other people discover theirs. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we all need that. Service. Yeah, for real. So that's actually a really great segue into the next question we want to ask you, which is, can you tell us what the law school environment at William & Mary Law felt like to you leading up to your decision to approach the administration? So I know you talked about you didn't really have that much anxiety before law school and, and you were feeling like your PTSD was under control, but it still sounds like you were recognizing some issues going on. So can you tell us a little bit about what that environment felt like to you? Sure. So I don't know if you guys actually know this, but there are studies that show that different regions of the country tend to judge um, success of very high functioning people like lawyers in different ways. And so in Virginia, how that manifests is people judge their success by how stressed they are as a general rule. Oh, like busy bragging? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So you get people who are um, not necessarily lying, but maybe lying. But like you said, like they're bragging about how stressed they are and how much they aren't sleeping and how they haven't eaten in three days. And that is how they measure their success against their peers because um, we're trained from like the time we're five that we have to grade ourselves and get graded and whatever. Um, So I, coming from California, where it's actually the exact opposite and we judge our success by pretending like it's so easy mm-hmm. and that you're not spending your time working that sounds um, like the lifestyle that we all should have <laughs> <laughs> so I know what my next career in my next move is yeah, right. awesome it reminds me of um I just looked this up like the Japanese salaryman have you guys heard of that of that no. phrase how people are literally <laughs> it's these men in Japan where the culture is similar, your your success is judged on like how, how much literal time you put in, how stressed you are. Like you'll see that YouTube videos are crazy. There'll be like men in full out suits and ties sleeping on the streets for like an hour before they have to like go back into work in the office. They're called like Japanese what? salary men wow. and they're literally working to death. So, like, that's not, like, a hyperbole. Like, there's all these statistics. Maybe we'll, like, do a little segment on it. But, like, yeah, they're literally actually working to death because they're working so hard and so much and the hours are so nuts. And that's, like, a celebrated thing in at least some segments where, you know, um, where salarymen are, like, kind of renowned and celebrated. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, that's how William and Mary felt to me. I didn't know... (laughs) I didn't know this science behind it and the reason behind it at the time. I just walked into a school where every single person around me was talking all the time about how stressed they were and how little they were taking care of themselves. And I didn't know why, but I just knew like in my heart that that something was wrong. Yeah. It's interesting. Best coast, West coast or West coast, best coast. <laughs> Is that the <laughs> West coast? It's late. Y'all. Sorry. <laughs> 
Can you tell we're not from California? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like East Coast scary mentality. Like yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's an interesting mm-hmm. perspective, though. Yeah. So, so at what point when you started started realizing that? At what point did you decide to approach the administration? This next bit is. Um, controverted not everybody says that this is exactly what was happening but a couple of students in my year so at this point we were two L's so a year and a half in basically to my uh, time at William and Mary told me that they had gone to the health center for various things and the health center by law is required once a year to give every patient that they see a depression and suicide basically warning questionnaire And it's two questions, and you say, I don't remember what they are, but it's essentially, um, like, how often in the last seven days or a month have you felt hopeless, and how often in the last seven days or month have you felt, like, um, too tired and low on energy to do the things that you enjoy doing? And multiple students had told me that they'd gone to the health center and had filled out these questionnaires. The nurses had read their scores, saw that they were law students, and said, oh, you are all so stressed. Um, These don't apply to you, and threw (laughs) them away. What? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's interesting. So Now, what they're supposed to do is refer students who score very highly to the counseling center, which are two different bodies. Um, Now, I will say that when – so this – they, students told me this. I actually went to the school newspaper and I said, this seems like something that should be investigated and talked about. Mm-hmm. And I let them run with the story and they interviewed me and some of these other students. And when the story came out, the director of the health center in quote, like was quoted as saying, that did not happen. That is not true. I don't know what's going on with the law students, but I think a lot of this anxiety and stress is just in their head. Oh, good. Okay. Well, yes, necessarily. It is mental health. Oh, my God. It is what mental health is. (laughs) Oh, man. So just a clarification point. I know my friends, at least in therapy school, who have had to do, like, I've only ever heard of those assessments being used in the context of somebody who was, um, I'm going to get the terminology right, but, like, and I've actually heard I've actually heard this assessment being performed in my group therapy session um, when another member sort of picked up that another member was sort of acting strangely and we had to pause and they had to do a suicide awareness kind of assessment and ask those like two exact questions. So I know that that's something that's like, I didn't realize that like just in general at a health center, I mean, I guess I assume they're going in for treatment of mental health issues. Is that so like in the case of where it's like a mental health like patient kind of thing? Or is it just like a school kind of policy that they would have that assessment being performed? I only I just I'm like uh, uneducated about it. I don't know. I've only ever heard of that being mandated when it was suspected that like the person was, you know, at critical risk for like a you know a suicide or a suicide attempt kind of idea so I think in general that's true and I don't know how or why I can speculate but I can't know for sure why William and Mary has the policy that it does but William and Mary gives them once a year to every student who comes into the health center okay regardless of whether or not it's mental health or physical health I gotcha 
Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting because, yeah. I mean, I've been to the health center a few times and I don't think <laughs> that I've ever taken that assessment. So yeah. that's interesting. So, so okay, so after you went to the William & Mary school, it, um, this would be like the undergrad newspaper, I'm guessing. Yes, yes. After you went to the newspaper and this story came out, then did you personally decide to go talk to the administration at that point or was it sort of like other people encouraged you to or was it out of your hands at that point? Um, so the story came out. I was the only student who let myself be named in the article. Everybody else um, was interviewed anonymously. And I actually got an email about two hours after the story dropped from all of the deans of the law school saying, we want to meet with you. Whoa. Ooh, that's important. <laughs> How did that feel? I, like, <laughs> I have anxiety just imagining that happen. Like, oh, my God, how did that feel? It was wild. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know the story was coming out that day, and so I was sitting, I think, in business associations, and everybody's sort of whispering back and forth. Somebody emails me the article, and at the same time that I am looking through the article, reading it for the first time, an email from Dean Douglas shows up <laughs> in my inbox oh with my all of God. the Dean cc For those of you that don't know, Dean Douglas was the dean of the entire law school at this point. Like, he was the, the top person. So you like got their attention pretty quickly yeah. anyway. So it wasn't really it was an issue not a in like article, I will say. Oh really, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean that makes sense. I mean yeah. I I guess <laughs> silver linings wise, at least you didn't have to like clamor around for a long length of time about getting the administration to like notice what was, you know, happening or not happening or that there was an issue, et cetera. Right. And I will say that's the whole reason that I went to the newspaper in the first place. I didn't necessarily think that it would play out the way that it did, but I wanted somebody to like somebody to speak to somebody about it and say, what's going on? What's like, why are your law students feeling this way? Why are they consistently scoring so high on these suicide questionnaires? Yeah. Like let's, let's the administration and um, employees at the health center and like the school as a like a whole like let them sort of like figure out what was going on I didn't necessarily expect that they would actually come to me first yeah that's wild so yeah. I'm assuming you went to the meeting I did at the time I was very recently elected as co-president of lawyers helping lawyers Oh, okay. For the student chapter. um, Which is a whole other story. Essentially, the year before us, like, they didn't elect a new board, and so teachers reached out to people who had been to more than one meeting and asked for volunteers to start the board again in, like, November. And so before I went to that meeting, I actually went and talked to the advisor of the Lawyers Helping Lawyers chapter at William & Mary, and she and I put together a list of things that like action items that we thought the administration could do right now right then to help and then some sort of longer term goals once you guys put that list together of goals and and suggestions for the administration were they were they receptive to that list I mean it sounds like they were interested in having the conversation but were they actually receptive to the goals and the items that you had on that list 
They were, although I will say that they were not expecting me to walk into that meeting with a list. <laughs> Be prepared. I like it. Um, we are big I, list people on this yes. podcast, so we love that. Preparedness, Girl Scouts, etc. Just putting myself in their shoes and like based solely on their reactions to me, I don't think they were quite prepared for me to walk into that meeting the way that I did. <laughs> I um, love that, though. Yeah, that's great. I'm yeah. sure they were like, even if they were surprised, like, <laughs> I'll work with somebody with a list who has ideas any day. Yeah. Great. They like, grateful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were. Yeah. So I walked in and they wanted to have, um, it seemed, a conversation with me to make sure that I was doing okay because uh. the, the newspaper did um, discuss some of the things that, like, I had experienced. And I tried to get into the counseling center my 1L year at William & Mary. And I was actually told by the counselor at the counseling center um, that what I was going through was too much for them to handle and I needed to go find some other doctor. Oh, oh my God. Which is exactly what you want to hear in a crisis. Oh, that's, mm, see, I always have thoughts and like regrets about me not using the counseling center during the time I was there. Mm But, I mean, obviously, it's one person's account, but still, that, that doesn't bode super well. That's really, like, super disappointing, to say it lately. Yeah, so they wanted to check in on that. That was in the article. <laughs> they wanted to see um, if I was doing better. And then they, so we talked about that. They sort of asked me, like, why are you depressed? Why do you have PTSD? And I was like, yeah, I'll just tell the five deans of my law school, like, my deep personal mental health Yeah, what? So, like, at the very least, it sounds like they were ill-equipped to be having this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So, So like, nice and concerned. We talked about just sort of very generally what was going on. Was I okay? I said yes. And then they essentially we're going to end the meeting there and said, well, if you have any ideas on how we can improve, like, please feel free to let us know. And I was like, Oh guys, I can tell you right now. (laughs) Here's my list. Pulls your list. Pulled out out my list of like 11 things. (laughs) Um, and we went through them and I was, I gave them the list and explaining why I thought these things were valuable. And from there, um, it was pretty much from that meeting that we established a whole committee of deans and students and teachers and started working to implement that list. And through various inputs, that is how we got to the Wellness Wednesdays program that we have now. So besides Wellness Wednesdays, what other things were on that list? I think you mentioned some goals and some other like specific suggestions. Yeah, so there was bringing a dedicated counselor to the law school who was familiar with law school students' um, struggles and difficulties. And that I think my understanding was that students had tried to ask for that in the past. Mm-hmm. And the administration was always hesitant because they said that students weren't going to want to um, have the stigma of being seen walking into whatever room the counselor was in by their peers. And so they wouldn't use it. And the thing is, they, they did that. They, um, there's a licensed, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, a licensed psychiatrist through one of the clinics 
um, the Polar Clinic that deals with the, um, the veterans. victims of in the military trauma, PTSD, uh, military sexual trauma. So she is on staff at the law school through the Polar Clinic. Her name is Judith Johnson. And she agreed to, on, on a preliminary basis, set up these counseling sessions. And within a week of them announcing that she was going to be available, her schedule was full. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, like, that's crazy, but that's awesome. Yeah. Like, what mm-hmm. that need was obviously demonstrated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sh- so she, as far as I know, is still providing those services. She was um, through the time that I left. And I really hope that I didn't get her uh, degree wrong. I might have. But she is, um, she's wonderful. She's, she was very, very excited to work with the students. And so we did that. Um, I asked for a climate survey um, so that the, the administrators were telling me that because they were removed from the students, they weren't teaching and nobody was telling them what was going on. The administration didn't know that their mental health struggles were as bad for students as they were. Well, I'm glad that you asked for that survey because I think that's the issue that we see and hear about a lot, like in the legal industry and probably in many industries and just like around mental health in general is like, well, if people aren't talking about it, they must be fine. And like at a at a law firm, if my employees aren't telling me that they're having mental health issues, then they must be fine. So there's nothing we can do about it or there's nothing we need to do about it. So I think those climate surveys are really, really important. Yeah. And she is she is a clinical psychologist. She's yeah, a, like she's an LCP. So she can't prescribe medication, yeah. but she does, I assume, like talk therapy, et cetera, which yes. is awesome okay. and probably exactly what the <laughs> students need. Yeah. Okay. So that's really cool. That's really like I'm having an difficult we just talked about in our last episode that we were, that we did about how I'm extroverted and I think out loud and now I'm kind of like struggling to like process all I of know. this because even when we were there I had no idea anyone else was like dealing with the same types of anxiety or anything that I was and it's really interesting that you talk about how geographically people measure success differently because we've talked about how at our law school the environment was very much people talking about how busy they were and and sort of like that br- that busy bragging that David and Jack actually coined the term but that we still see even here in Richmond in the legal industry and up and down the east coast i mean we've had people write in to the podcast about it from like New York and and New Jersey and other places so it's really interesting because being from the East Coast and being raised in the Northeast, I thought that was how everyone was all the time. Yeah. And, and that it was normal, too. Not, yeah. so, not so much that everybody was like that and it was an issue, but that, but that it was that's normal. how people are. So. And we've even talked about that here on the podcast. Like, Laura and I both growing up had a lot of anxiety, but because we were successful in school and we were always doing well, it felt like having that, that anxiety and being that busy was normal. And that meant that we were being successful. Now I want to move to California and <laughs> <We're serious. laughs> not be busy because that's amazing. It's wonderful. And it took me, I thought I wanted to be in D.C. Yeah. when I was applying for law school. That's why I went to William & Mary. And I had no idea that everybody, everywhere wasn't like California. I went to undergrad in California and everybody 
all the time. They were talking about how late they were up studying. They were talking about like how many nights a week they went out partying. And so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it took about two months of being in Virginia to know in my heart that it was not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. It, like makes me sad, like happy that you were able to recognize that, but also sad that like that was your immediate reaction to like a new place that I mean. Yeah, that's yeah. uncomfortable at best for sure. Yeah. And it wasn't even just me. It's that the people who have the mentality on the East Coast don't want my mentality around either. Yeah. Because I do. I do. <laughs> Besides us. Yeah. I ended up stressing my peers out more because I wasn't talking about how much I was stressed all the time and then I'm still getting the readings done and I still know what's going on in class but I'm not talking about how I was in the library until two in the morning so people tell me that I clearly didn't care about law school wow yeah that's (laughs) That's just funny because I literally didn't care about law school. That was like my pride. My my point of pride was that I literally didn't care about law school. Yeah, but then you like actually did, you know? Yeah, but I probably secretly did. I just like actually didn't. Like from the outside, I did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So as far as like the student body and, and... the the climate survey and all of that did you see any shift in like was there a visible shift in the student body and the way that people started talking about mental health and started dealing about mental health once these issues came to light so I will say that it was definitely talked about more right at the beginning not necessarily always in a positive way there were some students who were um, actually pretty upset about what the article had said and what people were saying about William and Mary and law school mental health in general. Um, but it, and obviously there were people who were like, thank you so much. Um, I felt alone. Yeah. But it was on everybody's minds right then. It felt sort of for like that day, it felt like that's what everybody was talking about was just sending around that article and talking about it. And then the perception for like my last year Um, I think was slow on the uptake of getting people to go to the wellness Wednesdays. And I mean, everybody talks about how difficult it is to change a culture. And that's basically what we were trying to do. And at the time, there were definitely days where I felt um, like you can't help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves. And I felt like I was surrounded by people who were saying they were too busy to go get mental health classes and treatment and support and those were typically the people that needed it the most but then to hear your episode with um law school after dark and to hear them talking about all of the different services that william and mary offers and the wellness wednesdays and how grateful they are for that i it was actually kind of a moment for me i was in my car driving home and i just sort of was like wow like we actually did make a change at least to some degree for some people that they're talking about it as something that they're grateful for and happy that William Mary offers those things when two years ago that wasn't the case yeah that's a giant shift in a very short amount of time Mm -hmm. and yeah you should feel so proud of that effort and I'm sure that you know countless people are indebted to like that newspaper (laughs) article and that investigation and really just somebody speaking up about something because I think that's hard 
that would be hard for me to do. I think that's a hard thing to do in general. So definite kudos to you. The communities, obviously, you know, at least some members of the community are benefited by having those services in place. At least they're there to access, right? So, yeah. So do you have any guidance or tips on those seeking to change um, that cultural landscape in that same way? Yeah, so I will say, um, I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to ask because more often than not, it's a situation where your employers or the deans of your law school have heard that mental health is a problem for lawyers, but until somebody actually speaks up and is willing to do that brave thing even if it's just talking to one person it doesn't need to be a panel but even if you're just talking to one person and you say we would like some more resources if you have the capacity if the re- if the money is there if the time is there if you're willing to dedicate it here's one or two small you start small things that would really benefit me and my peers. And I think that first step of just being willing to bridge that gap between sort of the people on the ground, the law students, the attorneys in their offices and their cubicles, and then the people that are actually making decisions is huge. And I think that that's, it has to be the first step. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great advice. I mean, that's, it's kind of scary to think about. And like you said, I'm sure getting that email from the administration was kind of terrifying. But I mean, without you and people like you and people like us with podcasts like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, without people like you to make this effort and not be afraid to kind of like throw these issues in people's faces, I think we don't make change and we don't get as far as we could otherwise so like thank you for putting yourself through that I'm sure it wasn't easy like on a personal level I mean unless you like the celebrity of it like I can <laughs> see myself not minding that attention but <laughs> um but 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 truly like thank you for doing that um I think it's incredible and and we're so lucky that William and Mary is so lucky and we're so lucky that people like you are out there and that you're out there doing this so that's all the questions that we have on our list, Laura. Do you have any other questions you wanted to ask, Ryan? I don't think so. I think I'm, I think I'm good. We can do some happy pills and homework if you're, if you're willing, Ryan. If you want to share some, I don't know. Do you have a happy <laughs> pill to share about like your day or your week or your something, something good you want to share with our listeners? Um, do you want to go okay. first, Ryan? Do you have one sure. on the, do you have one on the tip of your tongue? I can come up with one I- if not. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so I have two, but they're short. One is that I am on this podcast talking to Laura and Caitlin, and it's not just me sitting in my car talking to myself. They're <laughs> talking back to me, which is very exciting. Oh, it's hilarious. We support talking to yourself in your car also. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's, all, it's either that or I'm screaming at drivers around me. So talking to myself <laughs> about mental health is probably better. Yeah, that's a good mental health move for sure. <laughs> and then the second one is that I mentioned that my um, my fiance is not in the country right now, but we actually, he surprised me yesterday with tickets for us to meet 
in Iceland Ooh. next weekend. Whoa, that's oh amazing. Gosh, so cool. I want a fiance so that surprises me with... So not only do I get to go on a fun trip, uh. but I also get to see this person I'm supposed to be marrying. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And also, I love Iceland. So, yes, I'm very jealous. Yeah, I've never been, but I've been dying to go. Um, do you have any homework for our <laughs> self-care partner listeners? Yes. Um, Perfect. Now we don't okay. have to do our homework and come up with an assignment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Homework is just for yourself. Think about one or two actionable items that you think would make your environment, whatever that be, a little better. Even if, like, right now you don't act on them and you don't do anything with them. Just have one or two concrete things that you can check off and accomplish at the ready in case you're ever in a situation where maybe you're at a lunch and there happens to be a senior partner there and you're just chatting afterwards or you're at the law school at a networking event and you get five minutes to talk to the deans and they say, how are things going? And then you're just ready in case you feel brave in that moment to say, you know what, actually, like, here is something I want to talk to you about. And maybe the answer is, thank you so much, that's not really going to work, or maybe thank you so much, um, we'll take that under advisement. But, like, then you've done something and you never know what can come from there, and it helps to just be ready and have them ready to go. That's awesome. I love it. All right, y'all. So that was our interview with Ryan. We're so happy that she was able to come on the show and express her opinions about this and talk from a very like intimate um, point of view about how all this kind of shook out. So, so grateful um, to have her on. And we thought what we would do is just have some reactions, talk about some reactions to that interview at the beginning of our next episode, since we know this is getting a little bit long and it would be great to get your feedback in the meantime, whether you were there or not. So whether you're, you know, William Mary student or alum, or maybe you heard about this or maybe you didn't. um, Yeah. It'd be great to, to hear some of your thoughts about it. Yeah. Super good tools in there for those of you who may be at law schools or in law firms that don't feel like you're being fully supported to to take with you and maybe you know start something new at at where you are so yeah so we'll talk about it quickly next week and react um we also have a really cool guest for next week should we tell them yeah so we are getting um jim leffler on who is the clinical director for lawyers helping lawyers um here so he is a uh, you know a trained mental health professional unlike ourselves so it'll be very exciting to have him in the room i can't wait to talk about him he's been with them for a very long time yeah so we're gonna get some like seasoned industry perspective yep yeah and he's coming into the studio so that'll be really cool it's our first male guest our oh, you're first no it's not we had matt oh shoot we had matt oh, wow I'll, I'll take that out wow <laughs> love you matt <laughs> oh my gosh all right well i hope you guys enjoyed this episode uh talk to you next week bye bye